listen to me. Trader, I believe that you've received the death message from our ninja empire. Ninja is supreme and you have double-crossed him. Why did you do that? I have to reform the ninja empire. That is why I took away it. That is why I took away it. The golden ninja warrior. The golden ninja warrior. You've got three days in which to return the golden ninja warrior. Right? Or else you die. What, 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 what is that? Or else you die. Go, go, go to hell. Welcome to the Golden Ninja Podcast 9 on Savior of the Earth and Space Thunder Kids. And for episode 9, we dip our toes into the oft-neglected side to IFT. So much so that I neglected it during our initial 5-episode run covering IFT's ninja, kickboxer and catman cut-and-paste action line. And that is Joseph Lai's IFT but mostly under the ADA audiovisual banner, acquiring and distributing Korean-made animated science fiction titles. And in his um, hands, via his hands, we got titles like Raiders of Galaxy, Defenders of Space, Space Transformers, many of them riffing on and ripping off Japanese properties and imagery. But in the case of the first selection of this episode, Savior of the Earth, that Korean production turned to a Walt Disney movie from the year before for its main inspiration. And since Ed, Ed Glazer is here, and he actually picked this movie, I'll let Ed really quickly say what Walt Disney movie is, Savior of the Earth, kindly uh, riffing and referencing. Of course, it's Tron. And I'm kind of kind to them, like kindly riffing and referencing. No, they pretty much made Tron again. <laughs> and uh, But we'll get uh, into detail uh, what it is uh, that's so Tron about it and uh, what they possibly brought to the table themselves. As for our second review and half, I have this to say. What happens if you took a combined five, six or seven of your already acquired movies and made all of those into one final push to squeeze the most out of the market looking for animation to put on TV and video. What happens when you combine all of that, five, six or seven movies, into one movie? Confusion and numbness is what happens. And that is Space Thunder Kids from 1991. I will tell you all why it represents, in my eyes, confusion and numbness. But anyway, my name is Kennedy, and uh, I'll get to properly introduce my co-host again. So Neon Hobbes Eric Glazer is here, so say hi, buddy. Greetings, programs. Have you got your digital digital discs uh, ready ready for this uh, for this episode? Heck yeah! Well, actually, I used to have one of those uh, as a as a toy, but um, no more. Oh, oh, they they uh, they made a toy out of that. Oh yes, of course. Because I was thinking, like, how much toys can you make out of Tron? And I guess it's that and figures, maybe. And video games, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. You got the grid, grid, and the whole racing thing, of course. So yeah, there you go. Uh, more on Tron, and uh, more on the um, really the back. The, there is background. There is context to even rip-off animation that IFT presented that originated in Korea. We'll tell you all some um, maybe unexpected uh, historical background even. So uh, we'll do that after some quick contact information. And this is the Golden Ninja Podcast. We are available on podcastonfire.com along with 
a couple of other shows covering Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema, cinema, Korean cinema, among other things. And we do bonus episodes every now and again. Email us if you have any feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, like our page and join the discussion group. Those links are available on podcastonfire.com. A little, uh, we have little uh, illustrated, bu- illustrated buttons that will lead you directly to our social media, including our Twitter account, which is at podcastonfire. I write about... Uh, among other things, uh, these animated movies and the other IFD action pictures over at SoGoodReviews.com and I video review at SlizzyKVideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And the Golden Ninja podcast is available on iTunes. Leave a star rating if you are using iTunes regularly and even um, leave a small written comment. One or two sentences will act perfectly fine as a user review. We would love to hear from you what you think of this uh, madness that is korean animated ripoff uh ripoff ripoff shenanigans if you will and finally from my end the golden ninja warrior chronicles is jesus perez molina's blog author jesus perez molina and i I, i've referenced this book golden ninja i've said invasion i think it's called golden ninja operation as a matter of fact uh, and now i'm doubting myself in this moment uh anyway like uh, it's easy to confuse ifd titles like golden ninja this ninja this ninja this and keep them apart but regardless jesus presmalin has written a book on ifd and filmark in spanish only at this time but uh, it's a wonderful time to in in 2015 for misinfo on the web to be corrected but now there's one of the prime elite authorities on the subject putting it out in book form as well which is uh, great so hopefully we'll see an english translation um uh, sometime later because i think uh, there will be enough interest there out in the world at least two guaranteed sales or maybe three from my end from your end Ed, and maybe mike leader would want one as well and i think those are the core fans of this uh, of these kind of uh, movies I'm sure there will be plenty, but I will be first in line. And uh, But his blog uh, details, among other things, uh, obviously the IFD and Ninja movies, but uh, also uh, corrects info and uh, identifies the various source movies in these, whether they're Taiwanese, from Thailand, uh, the Philippines, etc., etc. So uh, check that blog out. We have linked to a specific section of it, so you can read all the relevant posts. And over to your plugs, Ed, and uh, especially your uh, web series, Deja View, plays a part in uh, our coverage if you will so um why don't you tell us ever so slightly what deja view is and uh, plug your urls sure um deja view is a web series that i produce that highlights uh, foreign ripoffs remakes and remixes of uh popular american films and you can see that um my other films and web series including ninja the mission force which uh, parodies the sort of uh, cut and paste ninja action movies that we talk about here on this show all that at neonharbor.com uh, I'm also on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash neon underscore harbor and on Facebook at facebook.com slash neon harbor. Excellent, excellent. And uh, for now, we'll take a short musical or acting uh, audio where featuring a wonderful acting from our coming movie here, Savior of the Earth. I'm going to see what joyous, confusing and uh, gut-bustingly funny clip i can find uh, hopefully the trailer is out there on on the web uh, for savior of the earth because even for these trailers the ifd had a uh, some mad trailer man scripts uh, written for them that um that uh, is very ifd they never let go, let go of that touch even if you watch the trailer for space Thunder kids from 1991 they're still spouting this uh this uh, hardcore madness if you will to sell 
Zelda movies, and it's Space Thunder Kids. Exactly. If you're gonna promote the movie, you pronounce the title like you read about. Uh, so I'm gonna try and find some so, something amusing, even if only music from Savior of the Earth from 1987. So we'll be back after that. Welcome back in the first review of this animation episode, uh, courtesy of IFT, is Savior of the Earth from 1987. And since you devoted an episode of your web series, Deja View, to this movie, I'll, I'll let you handle the plot summary duties. Uh, not because it's hard to summarize Savior of the Earth, it's pretty straightforward, but I think uh, you're kind of the flag bearer of all things Savior of the Earth, in my view. So take it away, what is it about? Sure, so here goes. The villainous genius Dr. Butler has found a way into the vast Tron-esque computer world. When the kindly Dr. Kim discovers his plot to take over all the computer systems of the Earth, Dr. Butler abducts him and his lab assistant Sheila into cyberspace. Dr. Kim's second lab assistant is also abducted, but not because he's discovered anything. Merely because he's just too damn good at playing video games and is unwittingly decimating Dr. Butler's fleet of space invaders in the lounge arcade. Now it's up to Keith to save the world by playing highlight, racing cars, throwing digital frisbees that are absolutely in no way identity discs. I don't know why you'd even say that. And enlisting the help of a sexy cross-playing Captain Harlock. Ed, are those digital free space identity disks? I don't know what you're talking about. They're kind not. of look yes, familiar. Of yes, of course. I mean, good lord. The whole thing just <laughs> like blatantly rips off Tron. If you look up this movie on uh, YouTube, there, there's, there's the way to properly look it up, Savior of the Earth. Type in Korean Tron and you'll kind of get the gist of, of what, like, we all know what the dealio is here for this movie. I've discovered it. All my experiments have finally paid off. I found the ultimate energy source. With my new computer system, I will be able to control the behavior of every human on the whole planet. They will have no choice but to listen to the command of my computer. They will become my slaves. But I'm not going to talk uh, for a little while. There is some background and even historical background setting up the fact that Korea had an animation industry focusing on, not in the case of this, but focusing on... Um, replicating um, properties and imagery, for instance, from Japan. There, there is a little bit of context there, so I'll let Ed um, speak a little about that. So the floor is yours. Sure. Uh, well, you know, it's it's uh, everybody kind of knows that Korea has been sort of the go-to place for getting animation done for industries uh, like America and so forth. But going back a little bit further than that, in 1945, after 35 years of brutal Japanese occupation, South Korea implemented a ban lasting over 50 years on all things Japanese that included pop culture, everything from literature to music to anime. Nevertheless, a number of South Korean animation companies began producing their own films with copycat versions of famous anime characters from series like Mobile Suit Gundam and Gatchaman, 
uh, and toy lines like Diaclone, which uh, was one of the toy series that later became Transformers. In fact, Japanese manga and TV series Mazinger Z, and I'm not entirely sure I'm pronouncing that one correctly because I'm not super familiar with it, uh, directly inspired perhaps South Korea's biggest anime hit, Robot Taekwon V, uh, also released elsewhere as Voltar the Invincible, and that spawned several sequels. In the late 1980s, our good friend Joseph Lai stepped in, buying a bundle of these films almost certainly at a bargain rate. Through his dubbing company, Ada Audiovisual, he produced stunningly poorly acted English language versions and put them out with confoundingly samey titles like Defenders of Earth, Raiders of Galaxy, Protectors of Universe, all of which apparently had their definite articles stolen by space pirates. Hey, even you are confused mid all of this. It's Defenders of Space, my friend. Like, uh, you can even be confused even if you have it in front of you. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, man. Like, uh, but uh, because... You couldn't ask me to recap any of these movies, even if I watched them last week, because there, five of them are incredibly similar, uh, down to the titles and content. So. Uh. Oh yeah, I mean, no kidding. I can never. I, it's hard for me to remember which ones which, even when I remember specific stuff about them. Because Joseph Lai was a thrifty gentleman, as we know, he put something like seven of them in a blender and pieced the bits together as one film. A film we'll tell you about in just a little while. Yeah, we. Um, it's easy to keep your sanity intact watching Savior of the Earth, so I'm glad that we're doing Space Thunder Kids Lost, because it's a challenge. Yes. It's the only time I feared doing work for this series, watching Space Thunder Kids. <laughs> like, oh my god, I don't know if I like it. Uh... Did nobody warn you? Oh no. Oh, it's uh, even in the, during the second viewing, I was kind of like... I'm scared. <laughs> but anyway, that's later. Uh, for my brief opinion of Savior of the Earth, it's the one out of the um, AAV or IFD animated range that ranks a little bit higher in fun, in coherency, and it's a relief to see a switch up in formula as Korea turned their eye away from Japan and big, big robots, mechs, and sci-fi. So that's why I kind of dig this. It's my first viewing. Yeah, so uh, wholly approved. But uh, in terms of your short opinion, what do you want to say about Savior of the Earth? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, well, I'm super biased because I'm a huge fan of Tron and uh, its sequel is one of my absolute favorite films. Even as a kind of cheap ripoff, I, I think it's delightful. And also these movies were always super short. They clinched feature length, but just barely, which is not a bad thing. We're talking sometimes 65 to 70 minute movies uh, uh, with or without the trailer before them, as these DVDs are kind of offered that way. But uh, yeah, I actually afford that scene, Tron, many years ago. I think it turns out I, I saw it for the first time recently because I it, it felt like completely new to me. And I, I'm still impressed by Tron. It may be from 1982, but the computer effect style that they chose or had to choose based on technology available to them still fits like a glove. That's It's just... That is a computer world to me. Like It, it certainly can look gri like a grid like that. And I think... Um, Time has been super kind to Tron in terms of the technical achievement there. It's sometimes not the most coherent film, but uh, it's not terribly dif difficult to follow either. So um, do you think the effects have uh, survived despite being from 1982? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's all done in one style, so it's not like... It's not like it's supposed to be CG of a dinosaur that, you know, doesn't hold up because it's all 
sort of blocky and chunky and and uh you know it's 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 all carefully crafted to look the way that it looks uh, but as for the korean throne let's talk about that and it's i i like that it opens um swiftly and quickly and gets like the exposition dump out of the way quickly with uh like you know we're all going to be taken over by this computer we're all going to be enslaved and all of that so it, it, like exposition dumps are so hard to do anyway so they get it out of the way super quickly and also compared to a lot of these ifd ninja action pictures we get it like it's it's coherent exposition dumps and it's all a, like a fairly dark disaster movie if you think about it that as this uh, computer takes uh, takes over the world and uh, like could steer missiles and probably set off nuclear weapons and all of that so oh yeah so part of the whole first chunk of the movie um is uh the ussr and the and america being the computer systems being taken over and missiles shooting against each other which is like they, we said they sold this as kids slash sort of young adults entertainment that this is one of the darker ones uh, it's not violent but it certainly is a disaster vibe and you also get like assembly in uh, presumably the un like talky stuff rather than like goofy kid stuff so, so i do like that also dig the scene uh, they go in disaster um, tradition they, they they set some chaos in new york with uh uh, wonderfully dubbed New York traffic cop. So one says at one point, like, I can't believe this, I'm getting a headache. Hey, you get that thing out of the way, move it. Hey, don't be talking to me like that. I ain't taking it. You watch what you're saying. I can't believe this. I'm getting a headache. It's so chaotic, but my favorite sequence is in this beginning is when we cut to Tokyo and uh, two train guards or train conductors are waiting for the express train. The thing is, they are the only ones waiting for it. It's 20 minutes late. Some express train. And where are all the people waiting for the train? <laughs> like, like you, you, you've seen videos from Japan where people are waiting and uh, like pushed in like cattle into these trains. But uh, I, I just thought to myself, that's amusing. There, there's only two people waiting for the train, and it's actually the people employed by the company. So, and and the train, like the bullet train, comes wishing wish past them and presumably crashes. It does. We to- we straight up see it crash. And they play it for laughs, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit, because uh, they're goofy, these gods. So not that it needs to come with this parental warning or anything, but I was kind of taken aback that this is adhering to a darker disaster formula rather than pandering to young kids and the perception of their what they want uh, in a in an animation, well, the light stuff they want in an animation. So, uh, And it was such a change of pace and relief to see that this was not about green-faced or blue-faced aliens invading and a lot of robots fighting in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it seems like three or four of them, the movies that they picked up were like that. While fun, it certainly doesn't plant a permanent memory in you. But the, this one does a little better in terms of that but the animation often is singled out in these movies including in this one and we're not talking quality necessarily but if you were totally honest what, what is there like in your eyes is it quality animation is it bearable or is it even sloppy to the degree where you're taken out of the movie somewhat or savior of the earth the animation is okay a lot of the other ones that we that that we see, and a lot of the ones that make up the the components of Space Thunder Kids, are not so okay because they well they pull some really sloppy stuff that I'm sure we'll talk about in the next segment. But this one was all right. Yeah, it's not. Uh, sometimes the animation is really static in the other ones, and sometimes it's really choppy as well. Uh, but but you're right. It it looks okay. Like the um, 
the uh, painted backgrounds and foregrounds it, like it it looks okay at least it's moving and flowing which uh, sometimes wasn't something these productions were blessed with like like there are some gaps like the dubbing has dialogue the english dubbing puts dialogue into characters that are not moving their mouths at one or two points but uh, still I, I didn't notice any huge gaps or anything so um, it was a smart move to base it off of tron because if you look at tron uh, there's not much in the way of elaborate set design and background. It's a lot of lines and shapes and gradients and things. And that's the kind of stuff that Savior of the Earth, or and its original title, Computer Hakjon Ham Pokpa Dejakjon, which has some really long American uh, or English uh, literal translation. Um, but that's the sort of stuff that it copies. And it works well because it looks, it looks fine. I would like to announce that from now on, I am your new leader. Through my ultra energy source, I can control you all. Absolutely looks fine. And even effects of um, how our uh, main villain, Butler, like IFT with their wonderful names. Like, uh, why? How, how can you name uh, this mega villain, Butler? At least it's not Rudolph, though. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a la- it's an actual last name. Of course, that's an also an, an actual last name that's also an occupation. So he's a Dr. Butler. Is he a butler <laughs> for doctors? Is he a doctor? Is he a butler? Make up your mind. Come on, guys. But, but I do love when he enters the computer world and he does it through electrical wires. It literally flies through the TV, which is cute. It's cute imagery. It's like, a wee, into the computer world we go. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to be Tron scientific with that machine, like breaking down Jeff Bridges into like molecules or atoms or whatever the dealio was that one it's it's actually if i'm being totally f- fine uh rather fair it totally is works fine it's not a as with the other movies this poor second or third solution that they had to go with because they can't do the first solution at all like it's absolutely gets the point across. Um, I, I don't have any better idea, though. What a horrible situation! I must tell the whole world about this before it is too late. <laughs> so, uh, and even like the hum- uh, other humans, they, they're just sucked into the monitor's uh, tractor beam style, and that's also fine. Uh, but but uh, but I love the idea of, um, n- not that we're going to try and break it down into making sense, but I-, I don't remember this was the case in Tron, that Keith are playing games that affects... That like affect Doctor Butler and the Sark copy. Like uh, I don't know if that was or was that the deal in Tron that whatever Jeff Bridges was playing was affecting Tron World or what was no, it? No, no, I think that they played them off as separate, which makes sense because there were he programmed these kind of games that are in the Tron Tron World as well, the same kind of environment. Right, right. These Stonehenge type of uh, ships, which we which we don't see in this one. <laughs> they they don't uh, attempt to. Uh, Copy those uh, kind of gods or whatever they were. Oh in Tron. yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget what they're called now. Yeah, they're like the in- in- interceptors or. I mean, were you ever annoyed at that? Oh my god, do do you need to copy so much stuff? Or was it uh, fun to see them do what they did? Oh yeah, totally fun. The uh, gods that run around that look sort of similar. The weapons look similar to what we see in Tron, but I love the little um, robots that both act as as gods and say that the computer terminals have duck lips. Which one of those design choices? Well, make lips. They turned out to be duck lips. They're sort of yeah. They're sort of like kind of animal, sort of penguiny, vaguely sort of like not not quite human, sort of humanoid robots. 
What is happening? We've lost 63 ships so far. He's really a genius. You must stop him. He is a real menace to us. You know what? What they managed to do somewhat right, despite being very on PC with uh, with it all, is the character of John the Black Warrior. I think you and I and whoever watched Savior of the Earth kind of remembers Black John, as they also refer to him as. Oh yeah. I, I gotta say, it's sort of an endearing little, endearing little orc. Yeah, well, he's the he's the guard with like the evil guard with the heart of gold who eventually turns around and helps out the hero and sacrifices himself to save them. That's its own element, I think, savior of the earth, and uh, maybe they took it from something else. But it is rather endearing. Not, not that you cry or anything during that melodramatic scene at the end, uh, and I really was confused why he was sacrificing himself if he, if he just stood in the way and took the bullet, so to say. Or what it was. I, I was expecting him to do the scene with Jeff Bridges where he kind of uh, makes the ship change lanes in Tron. That scene where they change lanes and therefore evade the bad guys. But uh, it wasn't that scene. Uh, I was kind of expecting it to be that. But uh, that's uh, like uh, in today's world, calling someone Black John is uh, quite uh, quite on the nose. It probably wouldn't play today. But hey, this is... Uh... Well, he's a little caricature-y. He's got the he's he's drawn with the like gigantic lips, and he speaks mostly in grunts. And when he's on screen, he even gets the wakchka music, like he's Shaft or something. Okay. So, wow. yeah. So you know, I mean, it's like a little questionable. There are elements of the characterization that um, dramatically work pretty well. Prisoner number seventy-two is a genius game player. He is capable of inflicting severe damage on the game circuit and overspending our computer energy. Not to mention making fun of our computers. I seek maximum punishment for this troublemaker. You you actually mentioned in your review uh, of that, um, and I didn't spot it. So I, I suppose it's somewhere in the background. Pac-Man makes an appearance in Savior of the Earth. Yeah, and apparently does in Tron as well. I it's either in the background and I missed it, or it's very evident. So is it just on a screen somewhere in Tron, uh, Pac-Man? Yes, in in Tron, you just it's. Uh... A scene where Sark is explaining something or looking at a big readout screen and Pac-Man's over there in the corner around a whole bunch of little energy dots. Whereas in Savior of the Earth, he's a much more prominent character. He's sort of an obstacle that the gamer uh, programs, people, whatever they are in this, uh, have to fight. They're, they run a gauntlet chased by Pac-Man and if they're not careful, giant bricks fall on them. But But yeah, it is... Pretty swift, though. Like, yeah, I, I never thought it moved slowly. Like, the running time suggests that it shouldn't move slowly, but these movies can still get into trouble because they were not necessarily, like, backed by super terrific filmmakers. But I think it does move swift, and it's coherent throughout, and fairly colorful. You know, that it, it, even if it exchanges stuff, it's riffing, ripping off from Tron. I, I think it remains colorful. I mean... Uh, for instance, uh, if you remember, do they uh, replicate the whole uh, chase on the grid on the bikes in this one? Because that's an iconic scene from Toronto. What did they do in this one? Hey, you lousy bucket of bolts. Why don't you pick on someone your own size? You stupid alien, you will die. Yeah, well, they, they don't. They they do a lot of things that are similar. They do the, the identity disks. They do the highlight. But they replace the light cycles with sort of regular cars uh, and do a car race kind of thing. But the cars 
very, very strong similarity to the light tanks from Tron. I, I thought it looked a little bit uh, Mad Max Death Race influenced as well, because it takes place in sort of a wasteland or a desert. So who knows what it, what it came from in actuality. But I, but I thought to myself, hey, Mad Max Tron, <laughs> like Tron Road. Mm-hmm. I'd watch it. We will be in complete control of everything from nuclear weapons to digital watches. Do you even um, recognize a lot of the stuff in these movies? That is, in particular, the anime stuff, though. If we switch topics a little bit, do you even recognize any of this stuff that these movies are riffing on, or are you merely, like me, sort of mildly familiar with uh, the various mech, uh, big robot uh, things that they are referencing? Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I've seen a little bit of, of the Macross stuff, a little bit of um, Dragon Ball Z, which has some elements in um, the, the Space Thunder Kid stuff. I've seen a Captain Harlock thing, which gets kind of sort of referenced in, uh, um, in this. But, um, but no, I'm not, I'm not huge on them, unfortunately. So I, I, I wouldn't be able to pick up on the minutia. Yeah, it's probably this movie that we both can sort of pick up. Uh, pick out the minutia even though some elements seem very new like uh, the intro of the weird ragdoll character <laughs> whatever she is uh sheila nancy <laughs> yeah i think i think it's uh sheila and uh, no wait no sheila's the sexy sister i suppose <laughs> uh you know what i've already hang on i've I actually I've, I've totally lost well, well they, they appear in space vandergates as well which is the confusing part and i think they're the change sandy the sandy, is, sandy? The ro- is, is the robot doll I mean, she seems like an element that is padding to the movie because she has an infatuation with Keith. Yeah, uh, but 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 again, it's it adds color to it all because that's this almost inappropriate infatuation going on there between this what seems like a robot. Yeah, I don't know. I I was very confused. She, she's so ob- obnoxious yes, t- in terms of dubbed and clingy as a character so it's two foot high robot doll girl with no nose who is Im- immediately smitten with with keith you know sandy needs you here there are so many things that we can do and i've got lots of things to show you here you kind of on, on your deja vu episode pulled out of the movie a very interesting analytical analytical thing that you pull out of tron compared to savior of the earth and that is the gaming angle of it all uh, because they treat the issue of gaming as positive is gaming is negative for a character differently in these movies and i don't know if you made any notes on it now but uh, if you remember can, can you talk a little bit about how they di- distinctly differ uh, tron and savior of the earth uh, on that note right yeah the issue of the social value uh that the films place on video games well, in Tron, Jeff Bridges' character, Flynn, is an avid gamer. He is an arcade owner. He's a video game programmer. And these are all viewed as positive traits. And those skills are what allow him to survive in the computer world. Uh, it's different in Savior of the Earth, even though Keith's video game habit, because he's straight up addicted, uh, saves the lives of him and his friends. It's consistently treated as a character flaw. And whereas Tron's Flynn made a career in games. Keith frequently shirks his work responsibilities to goof off in the arcade. Yeah, there's the light side of the movie. Our hero is the kind of wacky character that would rob, as you said, either hit on the main the main girl or go to the arcade just because, uh, yeah, why work? If you can't get love, 
and there's love waiting for him in the arcade and that's that's how he gets pulled into the mm-hmm. game, gaming world so uh, but yeah it's it's an interesting note at that time i suppose a little bit korean centric and connected to a korean mindset i suppose so so, uh, so yeah it isn't going all covering all the beats of tron all up until the end but obviously there are plenty of imagery here like uh, david warner's sark his is you know essentially copied into this movie it looks exactly like sark from the other movie there's no doubt and obviously the big uh the ship that they uh their whole uh big uh imperial cruiser ship i don't know if that was ever named in tron that is here as well and um so i mean there's never any doubt what they're doing here despite doing a few things differently the the flying characters sorry the flying carrier is a bit that i thought was really interesting because they draw it in savior of the earth the way that it looks in tron when it's being derezzed. Uh, so rather than it being a, um, a complete solid shape, uh, it's all done with lines, the, the red lines that you see, um, kind of like the, what do you call that, the grid kind of thing. I want to play the rabbit hunting game with him. It's the most exciting of all death games, Commander. You mean the car chase game. That's a good one, all right? And yeah, the movie shot. I mean, it never really stalls for me at all, even if the, like, Keith Sandy, our hero, and the little ragdoll relationship is entered into it, and it's kind of questionable why it's even here. It's it's quick. It's over quick. And uh, then we're, we're into a continually moving piece of film, and... Uh, Obviously, you need to be a little bit of a fan of uh, on the fringe productions, and uh, you don't, you shouldn't expect like a masterpiece or anything. But if you're a fan of Tron, I, I don't think you're going to be hugely offended because it doesn't. It, it's all fun to see it replicated mildly to fully. For, for instance, the final identity disc fight between Keith and and the Sark copy in this one. That that is. As far as I remember, the scene that's copied beat by beat out of Tron. Not as violent as in Tron, because Tron had almost like, no, not blood from David Warner's helmet or anything, but it, it was more of a, seemed like a more violent, violent uh, death. Uh. I am sorry, Captain. These are our prisoners. They should be our slaves. Master Anne will be displeased. Shut up and do as I say. Now get going. Huh? Uh. I suppose I don't have many notes other than I, I quite enjoyed it. And, and yeah, the whole identity disc in this one, it, that, that that was one of the old most unclear element here. That the sun kind of gives energy to this type of energy disc and it's not a virus or a code to to disrupt the master, the master control computer kind of thing. Uh, so that, that was probably the element that made me go like, uh, well, it's a weapon. If you think about it, as if the creators of this watched Tron but did not understand the language but followed the story by the visuals, you could kind of see that the blanks that you'd get by not understanding what causes what are filled in in a different way. And that becomes kind of what happens in Savior of the Earth. Yeah, as you said in your in your review, like it, it's like a child or someone recollecting Tron this is what kind of happens, even though it's not faithful. It is decidedly Tron, but not in every single detail. Um, I mean, the iconic imagery is easy to remember, so that's easy to make your animators uh, copy. But uh, it's a good little double bill, because it's barely a double bill. One is 100 minutes or whatever, and one is a bit over 60 or whatever. So it's a Mm -hmm. nice little bonus at the end of your evening if your friends are around for after Tron and around for uh, something a little bit different. 
It's the one that you can talk over, except uh, I don't recommend it because being able to hear some of the dialogue in this is just absolutely amazing. Just like the IFD dubs, uh, whether they were performed by Stuart Smith and the likes or not, they're, they're memorable. Uh, the New York uh, stereotypical accent, as I said, probably the Japanese characters are not dubbed in the most PC of ways. But uh, yeah, there, there's uh, been a couple of sound bites as, you, as you've heard in there, but I didn't write down anyone aside from the traffic guard in New York who was getting a headache. I, I feel like this is still like the C squad from the IFD gang. And I mean, the, you get the, the villain who is voiced by like clearly a 20 something who is going to take over the world. And uh, you get some really clear uh, misspeaking kind of flubs throughout and like, oh, what's this? It must be some torp of bonus for aces like me. I have this in my hands. I mustn't waste time. It's like a someone like trying to approximate another accent and in, in the process of making sure that accent hits mispronounced stuff but uh, neither noticed it themselves or the dubbing uh, the dubbing director was more Edwardian style like it's fine cut print moving on exactly and it's there for us to enjoy and, but yeah I, I, I think it moves swiftly it's uh, it's good fun watch Tron before that'll be a lot more fun and I hope uh, Tron still place with you today if you have seen it uh, once before or not at all before and then check out Savior of the Earth uh, rip off cinema is fun the computer it's back to normal it's amazing I can't believe it what happened uh, so that's really the end of my notes not a lot of them but uh, hey it's not a long movie either so that's that anything else you want to mention then? there are some kind of other cultural differences between Tron and Savior of the Earth um, as well Tron is in part a reflection of American corporate culture in the 1980s, uh, often called the decade of greed. And uh, in Tron, an unscrupulous Encom employee, David Warner, uh, has stolen Flynn's original computer game programs and used them to climb the corporate ladder. Uh, and that's when Flynn has to engage in a little corporate espionage that ultimately lands him inside the digital world. That kind of premise was less relevant in contemporary South Korea, where corporate culture was heavily influenced by Confucianism and collectivism. Uh, so greed kind of wasn't, it didn't really make a lot of sense as sort of the concept, the main idea. So since there's that, and because Savior of the Earth was clearly sort of aimed more at children, the villain was substituted with a more generic mad scientist bent on world domination. It's good that it is a bit more Korea-centric. Like, like it's fascinating uh, to see that it comes from a place, like a place of its own a little bit, uh, rather than just riffing on something completely and abandoning abandoning a Korean identity 100%. Like, there is something in there, which is always um, good that you can still extract that from this presentation, which is not the original presentation, uh, obviously being in English and all of that. But hey, I don't think this ever went on export. It's one of it's one of the advantages we have in terms of the IFT and Filmark acquisitions, whether they were cut and paste or full movies. IFT and Filmark were the ones who gave them a chance globally because these movies rarely sometimes rarely went on export even if they were action movies uh, so and, and in this case I, I don't think we saw another english dubbed version of for instance savior of the earth uh, in cinemas around the world i think it stayed in korea until joseph Lai stepped in there and said hey give us i'll pay i'll dub <laughs> i'll dub poorly and wrongly <laughs> this is available did you view 
Productions of a label Digiview released many of these animated titles from IFD on budget DVDs with uh, trailers, decent uh, transferred, and despite not having the officially trademarked DVD logo on them. This um, cutting of cost that that represents, uh, as you inform me, Ed, these are still legit official DVDs of an IFD product, which we are not blessed with at all. They, they are half official or not official most of the time, or something like that. So, uh, you know, you do your own DVDs, but uh, cutting that cost of uh, doing an alternate DVD logo on your on your boxes is what you have to do as a small outfit, I suppose. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Digiview, they were budgeted as probably being polite. They would turn up in giant boxes at Walmarts and places like that for a dollar. And so as cheap as they could make them, that's how they would make them. And they, they are uh, available both still on Amazon. They seem kind of half in print. You got the eBay and they're not going for... Uh, huge money or anything and speaking of that like budget or one dollar price tag that it's no surprise that uh, they are cheap and it's that i don't know that the company could make a little bit of profit i suppose because joseph lies sold both the ninja action line and this to various markets with flexible deals uh, we bought them cheap didn't require a lot of terms and conditions in return for uh, when certain companies acquired uh, these movies, like because they were released during a booming video market still. So they didn't need to put Savior of the Earth in cinemas and then do a VHS or whatever. So, um, and then whenever GGVU picked these up, it was still probably very flexible um, talking to IFD and uh, Joseph Lai and uh, getting them into do- bargain bins uh, across uh, across the United States. But uh, yeah, it's probably the greatest blessing, even though not all movies are widescreen when they're supposed to be. That availability has always been high and continues to be quite high for, for, these, uh, for these movies. It's not easy to find these movies if you browse for them because they use the tiniest, tiniest, thinnest, most thin DVD cases I've ever seen in my life. The uh, Savior of the Earth and Space Funder Kids and what have you, the ones I got, they're barely visible because they're like uh, half a centimeter in height, yep. if you will. <laughs> so. All right, let's, uh, that, that was the warm-up. That was the easy review. Next comes uh, Space Funder Kids. and uh, we're gonna no, You're not saying it right. I'm sorry. Okay. It's Space Thunder Kids. Space Thunder Kids. I'm gonna train. Like I'm, uh, I'm good at majestic thunderbolt. Repeating that all over again. But uh, yeah, I gotta learn some new tra- t- tricks and tools of the trade in terms of uh, the, like on my way to being transformed into an IFD authority of sorts. Uh, that takes pronouncing the titles correct. Space Thunder Kids. Eh, wrong. But this is from 1991. Seems kind of late. And uh, yep, this is the one that cramps in the most in one and creates amusing effects in the viewers that do venture into space fun the kids knowing what it is or not knowing what it is so uh, we'll uh, play some uh, amusing audio have a trailer audio or some amusing dialogue from the movie but after the break kids uh, we get the space fun the kids from 1991 and our review of it so sit tight and we'll be back space thunder kids the evil forces of the dark emperor threaten the entire universe all right let's get them Welcome back, and it's time to review, let me try it, Space Thunder Kids. How's that? 
You got it. Perfect. Right on, right on. From 1991, again, you, we don't we rarely talk of the 90s when it, come to I, when it comes to IFT. Normally when we're there, it's kickboxing time and stuff like that. But uh, like normally we are in the, between 84 and 87 and 88 and all of that. But uh, this uh, was a few years after they put out a few animated titles and uh, Joseph Lai made it, or someone made it his or her mission to uh, give us one final mindfuck. And that's that's what we get here. So plot the impossible one for anyone to summarize, but but Ed gave it a shot. So take it away, Ed. What is Space Fun the Kids about? The Dark Emperor, aka Dr. Butler from Savior of the Earth, is sending his massive space army of mostly blue and green skinned aliens to conquer the universe. His endgame is the creation of a supreme empire and control of all the energy and resources in existence. The only thing standing in his way is a group of revolutionaries from Earth with their three flagship giant robots, Solar Mech 1, Zortec 2, and Tiger SX-3. And in classic anime tradition, they're all piloted by teenagers. Can they save the world from an, from evil Namekians, a blue Nappa, and Kim Jong-un's grandfather? Of course they can. My mighty minions, I have been waiting a very long time for this glorious moment. Finally, my new and most powerful army has been assembled. You will be invincible in battle. Through your victories, all the precious energy in the universe will be under my control. N- Namekias, did they, is that something that's mentioned in the movie or did you no, just... No, no, it's, <laughs> um, it's, ra- it's a race of characters from... Uh... Uh, Dragon Ball Z, uh, really? the Dragon Ball uh, franchise, and uh, as is as is Nappa, one of the the baddies, and uh, they're clearly just kind of transplanted from from that franchise into whatever the heck constituent parts were used in Space Thunder Kids. Right on. We'll we'll uh, kind of set you up, listeners, in terms of uh, what this is again, and that this is a quite a filled tie. But for uh, my quick opinion of it, I'll uh, start with a little familiar song for any Simpsons uh, fans. So they shoot and fight, shoot and fight, shoot and fight. The Dark Emperor versus everybody, and or the Space Thunder Kid show. That's how you <laughs> set it up. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, talk about Star Wars for eighty minutes here, Ed. Um, and I think, in all honesty, it's not so much confusing as it's just filled. Action footage, like tons of action footage jumping from one character set to another. So I, I don't think it's confusing rather than it's draining. It's so draining. <laughs> but I do love it. I do love it because of that onslaught. In an odd, sadistic way, it kind of works. And it's my favorite from this animated line from Joseph Lai, IFD, and other order visuals. So that, that's my short opinion. Broke you, Ken. It, it's, it's, it's that Stockholm syndrome setting in. Broken healed me, and now I'm on its side. <laughs> so, But in all honesty, is it compelling at all? Space Thunder Kids for you. I don't know. As a, as a novelty, sure. And I think it helps... With the confusing part, once you understand that it's confusing because it's like seven different movies. But uh, in, and as, as your plot still alluded to, it's pretty sim- a pretty simple plot here. Yeah, it is because the the idea is that they've they've structured it so that there's one main baddie, and then all of the other baddies from all of the other movies are his generals, and all of the other good guys that they're fighting are the good guys from Earth. And there you go. And mostly the Space Thunder Kids, as we will allude to, are absent. It seemed to me that Space Thunder Kids was just like a term that they applied to all of the the kids that were piloting the various 
max. But they're still kind of sporadic, but uh, that's because they decided to work with a whole lot. And it's the most packed and also the longest of these movies. 18 may, may not seem long, but normally they were about 15 or 10 minutes shorter to the minute. Uh, sometimes, you know, with the Ninja movies, they were always maximum 90 minutes, depending on the, the video speed uh, in your part of the world. But they, they were very calculated, and it seems like these were as well i gave it a favorable review once and still because i had fun and i still fear this second viewing because it's now work and it's now time to make a few more notes i gotta amateur critique it and review it if you will so i wanted to watch it more in stages in order to not confuse myself and depress myself for 80 minutes but i still watched it all the way through i had a good time with the onslaught of repetitive footage. Are you serious or what? This is no joke, you know. The doc ordered us back and that's just what we gotta do. But uh, in terms of identifying the many movies that it incorporates, uh, it's been too long since I've seen this bunch. You know, obviously Savior of the Earth is uh, the one we can recognize uh, immediately because we just watched it and reviewed it. But reviewed it. But um, according to the TV Tropes website, it incorporates footage from, maybe this is not a complete uh, list, but it incorporates footage from Savior of the Earth, Defenders of Space, Protectors of Universe, Solar Adventure, Space Transformers, and something I haven't seen called Iron Man Trio. I can I can either add one to that, or perhaps it's the uh, alternate title for Iron Man Trio, although I don't think so. There's Cosmos Conqueror is uh, one of the ones, and that's where General Dolly comes from. Once I saw Space Panda Kids during my run, I could recognize the stuff from Defenders of Space because that was the first one I saw. But uh, and, and obviously the Kim Jong Un, uh, uh, Kim Il Sung rather, is section from uh, either Space Transformers or Solar Adventure. You kind of remember because that's such a messed up movie and really a propaganda South Korean propaganda movie, of course, on its own. But but hey, let's get into it. It seems it, it seems simple enough, like as the plot alluded to. Wants to take over the entire universe. Good guys or kids uh, fight back and all the various sub-armies and generals and stuff like that. They, you know, because it piles on so much. Like, the more characters and the different movies, obviously. You, 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 you do sink into a numbness, but for me it's not disapproval. And it's certainly not incoherent. Uh, because you realize they're not trying to make it complex. They're just piling up a sort of best-of reel, almost. Or rather, like, just extracting all the shooting footage no iron man trio is a, is the, a separate movie from cosmos conqueror uh, the latter of which only appears very 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 briefly as best i can tell holy constellations that was a close call too close we better go and check it out but yeah it's it, it certainly doesn't start quickly I, I don't know where which movie this is from but the whole scene where everybody's staring blankly into space and waiting at their uh, consoles or computer screens looking shocked it's all you, you sit there and tap come on right come on let's make something happen here <laughs> like it's it's a solid minute of fear is it going to be this untight I wonder, though, I mean, do you have any theory on this? How, how thorough do you think IFD mapped this out? Or do you think it's just a random patchwork of uh, stuff that someone glued together? No, I think they probably sat somebody down in a room with uh, a bunch of, with a stack of VHS tapes and a television and said, figure it out. Um, but the great thing is that it's designed in such a way as to not be theoretically as confusing as it seems. Like we talked about before, there's a main bad guy and then there's like sub bad guys and then there's the good guys that fight them. The thing is that so many of them look the same 
that it is completely baffling and kind of starts to come apart. I will say that there is a point about two-thirds of the way through the movie, maybe three-fourths of the way through the movie, where the main robots, um, Solar Mech 1, Zortec 2, and Tiger SX-3, uh, are suddenly different mechs entirely, but still referred to by those names, and I think piloted by completely different people. And that's maybe where it becomes kind of a mess, but I think someone was still going, all right, well, these look kind of similar, so we're just going to call them the same things, and the story is still going to progress this way. So somebody worked it out. Um, how much time they spent on it, I couldn't tell you. But they made it was, and um, sold internationally it was. Like, it's not... It doesn't feel like a rip, ripping off your customers that's seen the other movies just because it's such an extreme work. You know, it's not like they took two movies from prior that, that they bought last week and put them as one like they took like all of them or something like that so i, I don't know I, I'm, I'm trying to make excuses for the movies but uh, for the movie but um, and the production rather but uh, i think it's enjoyable that they went the extreme route of uh, reusing their acquired material like when we talked uh, kickbox of a champion that felt like the most filled production in the world because it had two source movies. But like it's nothing, obviously, compared to what we get here. <laughs> that one wasn't confusing always as such, but it felt like, oh my god, how are you going to fit all of this in a 90 minutes? Two of them! Screw you, here's six or seven of them, like deal with it. Uh, but I'm, I'm almost, you're almost relieved, especially if you know going in the second or third time around that it's going to be this massive Star Wars 80 minutes. You're almost relieved that you understand the first two scenes, at least I was. Like, yay! I'm still with it. As it turns out, as we said, there's not a whole lot to understand. There's just new movies, new ships that also are experiencing this uh, phenomenon of uh, their radars are being jammed. So we see a couple of characters in the beginning saying, oh my god, our radars are jammed. And uh, then cut to another movie where they're saying the same thing. They have another problem as well. So the threat is, you know, for stupid people like me. I'm 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 with it, and after a while, it's just war for the last thirty minutes or so. Like then, you don't need to be with it as much. You just have to watch the ropey animation go on for extended periods of time, though. So that, that that's why it's numbing. Like like like, is it tiring for you? Can, can you sit through this for eighty minutes, or is it one of those gotta have a break at the halfway point? Too. I I don't take a break because I think I'm just I I want to believe that I can make it. Every time I sit down to watch one of these, I think this is going to be amazing. I can't wait. I've got my bucket of popcorn and I'm excited. And then maybe somewhere about halfway through, I'm like, uh, I don't know that I can do much more of this. It, it's it's numbing. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, this one, have you returned to it like for anything but like like for, for relaxation purposes? Or has it always been work kind of when you watch this? I think the, fir- the first time I saw it was for... Uh, enjoyment which there was none so <laughs> yeah not there wasn't a lot of it and i'd seen i think i'd seen a number of them of the the constituent pieces before i had seen this film yeah i don't know it, i just kind of it was more of the same it's kind of easy to spot uh, when the movie switches obviously because the the animation style and the animation quality throughout these movies it turns out they sometimes were fairly close sometimes wide apart like savior of the earth is a bit more solid that's than something like think solar adventure the movie with um, kim il sung because mm-hmm. that, that that contains some of the most choppier animation and it's in here as well. So it's easy to spot the changes, which is pretty entertaining. And uh, I, I guess the same notes apply that the animation is what it is. Sometimes it's pretty solid. It's uh, 
decently animated sometimes it it is rather poor and uh even entertaining the way it repeats itself like there's a there's a scene from some one of these movies where the spaceship fire about a million missiles and it's this sort of loop of footage like this tilted angle of a lot of missiles firing uh, from a spaceship onto earth and they just loop that those few frames of animation which is uh, a sign of the production values being uh, well it, it is what it is but but speaking of the space funder kids uh, we i suppose they are i even have to ask this for at least one set of the space funder kids maybe there's several the youths that appear in uh, well blue one has a blue helmet the lady has a red helmet uh, it's one of the kids that drives one of the mech robots right that's the Space Thunder Kids. I, I thought that they were all Space Thunder Kids, all the, all of the ones that were driving the ship. Are there more than, are, are there more than two sets? I mean, I only spotted two. Again, I, I might be confusing, be, be confused on, on a few aspects, but the movie with the worst film transfer quality, the one with the um, big head and partly whiny crew i thought that was the second batch of space funder kids but was there a third uh, piece of uh, batch of teenagers in there that i missed as well i've never really been involved in a real aerial battle i'm pretty nervous i hope everything will be all right this is a pretty important mission that we have we must overcome our fears and perform our best on the battlefield well there were okay so there was um there was one that was particularly gotcha man looking there was one that was maybe somewhere between Gatchaman and Space Battleship Yamato. We briefly see a different set of kids entirely who are piloting Solar Mech 1. And uh, if I try to think about this any harder, I think my head will explode. So <laughs> I don't know. So Somewhere in there, maybe 2.2 or some sets of kids. I have no idea. Yeah, because they, they they seem so infrequent. They're not even mentioned by name, I think, until about three quarters into the movie. Like, okay, we gotta stop those Thunder Kids. They are in the movie. <laughs> they are like like the centerpiece of the movie somehow. There there are a lot of uh, cool little elements. I actually thought the again whatever movie it was from the green monster that the, one of the generals deploy into the kind of center of resistance. Uh, this cyclop monster with Wolverine style claws and what have you. It's one of the more decent-looking pieces of animation, although it's not saying much. But uh, I'm not sure I've seen the full movie, but uh, I, I, I do, I did enjoy that brief little section with uh, the Cyclops uh, monster. It looked fairly smooth for this, and, and even fairly colorful and uh, well drawn, and uh, some of the better film transfer quality in the movie as well. So um, trying to make sense of it all is dumb, of course. But it seems like all the combined forces of um, the Dark Emperor are pretty invincible. Which, okay, they have so much weaponry at their disposal, which is a good, like, trait for a, a disaster movie in a way, or a big Star Wars movie. Because it seems like Earth and the universe are dead in the water all throughout. They have no resistance other than the free mech. So, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's one of those things I think of, like, there's no way they're gonna battle back against five million missile-loaded big spaceships, and, uh, but somehow, I suppose they do. And, um, uh, the most enjoyable aspects of seeing, uh, the invading forces is that, uh, we, we get the footage from solar adventure featuring the green-faced alien that arrives in a car at one point and kim il-sung who are apparently teaming up the only human on earth that teams up with the invading forces is of course kim il-sung which i suppose uh, which was the uh, then i suppose is still a dictator of um, or president of uh, north korea that movie i think was the one that mixed live action as well uh, solar yes. adventure which uh, made it stand out a little bit uh, they never name him by they never call him kim or anything and I'm, I'm guessing it's despite the animation being what it is i'm guessing he's recognizable enough that the south korean audiences will catch on 
at least in Solar Adventure, that it is uh, Kim Hill-sung and that he's so evil he's going to team up with aliens as well. Well, it has some of my favorite Joseph Lai naming convention weirdness. As we know, he's sort of bad at coming up with names for characters. And so there's a villainous commander who has his two lieutenants uh, that he sends to go kind of uh, playing off each other to see which one can take over Earth first or something. Anyway, uh, and there's Gen- there's Lieutenant Saga and Lieutenant Tim. Seems like a swell guy, doesn't he? Yeah, Tim, you know, can you imagine if it was the same same way in other science fiction? You've got General Zorthrax and General Steve. That is from a Monty Python film, though, isn't it? Monty Python and the Holy Grail, when they encounter... Oh, yeah. John Cleese is like a wizard who throws explosions and all of that, and you can call me, Tim. Totally riffing on Monty Python, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yes, no doubt. But even, I think, uh, the Digiview uh, plot, if you read that, which I think they might have pulled from the IFD advertising materials, mention characters like Dr. Sparta, and Dr. Rhodes, and uh, that they're kidnapped. And I kind of desperately look for both those characters and the kidnapping. Couldn't find it. Yeah, th- that's that's straight off of the um, IFD press book. I have a suspicion that either that is the description of some other movie entirely, or somebody was just making crap up. Yeah, doing their best at writing some kind of science fiction-y plot and uh, fitting Space Thunder Kids in there, which they do. And uh, like these plots even like go to the end of the movie. They all often end with, like, and they save the day. I am Commander Dali, and I have been chosen by the Dark Emperor to take over the Earth. You had better surrender and hand over Solar Mac 1, or you'll be smashed to pieces, all of you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the first half hour is coherent enough. It's just packed with stuff, and... Uh, a little bit of plot, and uh, it is rather fun to just go with it, for me anyway, and uh, how the different attack switches from one movie to another, and they seem to edit together some movies, like they're shooting in one movie, that, and then an explosion from another movie to kind of make them connect, but there are there are some sloppy things here. I mean, uh, there's a ship firing on a planet's surface, I think, uh, but then you get a shot from that it's in space all of a sudden, like there's, what is it, it's like a ship shooting on a planet's surface at daytime, Again, something cut to the same ship uh, or the same kind of looking ship being in space. So they they try to, later in the movie, it seems like it gets sort of increasingly difficult for for the editors to match up stuff. Or rather someone said that it's not worth caring about that much. Just feature a lot of shooting. A lot of it. It got some fun uh, details, like uh, the first stretch of footage when invading forces, if you will, the Dark Emperor forces, send out these waves that disables the controls of various ships, and they crash into each other. And then you get the introduction of the Crescent Moon mech, which is either the Zortec or the Tiger SX-3. Zortec, yeah. Yeah, he even knows it. Listen, it's like, it's totally Zortec. <laughs> Aren't you paying attention? He's my favorite. He's my favorite anime mech from all time. Do you know if it's a, a, an original design or something? I'm sure it's not original. De- therefore, when you see him, all of a sudden the Space Founder kids are back. I mean, he, to me, they were just gone all the time. We're just uh, never really only seen because, uh, well, not, not seen. Uh, we saw them because we saw the mechs, I suppose. But uh, it's one of those like key centerpieces. There's the name of the movie. They're barely in it. But uh, hey, it's still fun to see 
some of this mech action, but I'm glad I'm I'm so happy when they switched to the crew, the new crew of the Tiger SX3, because it contains some of the worst animation in the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's the uh, section that looks the worst, also it's super foggy, print damage all over the place, and therefore it looks foggy and fussy as well. But uh, yeah, that's the stuff that I think is from Iron Man Trio, which is one I'm not familiar with. Hey Pete, what's going on? Wow! Look at the radar; they're all around us. I'm wondering if that's the version they got from Korea, That it, if it actually looks that bad. Uh, I, I've never seen it. I never got that DVD. But it, it's quite a chore to see through. But uh, it contains some of the worst animation. I don't know if you noticed that the briefing scene before they sit down in the SX-3, you see their eyes shift from one position to another from frame to frame. Uh, it looks really disturbing. Uh, it, it's not that they're blinking, but like the eyes shift from... Like horizontal to vertical or stuff like that. Gotcha. Okay. So no, sorry. I'm 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 mistaking. I thought you were talking about the just the print quality. And there's some stuff that because it contains like the the, the little kid who's like insecure. I don't know if we can do this. And like he's super insecure about uh, being part of the the whole resistance. And oh mech. yeah. So that might be. That's actually. I think that's from a different one. And honestly, if if any of this is still kept into the final edit. Uh, this will give you a sense of how baffling this film is to talk about because, uh, oh my God, it's from that one. Oh no, it's from, it's from, oh no, you're talking about that thing. Uh, who knows? It's seven, eight, nine, God knows how many different movies. Don't ask me to like name where the movie where, where the mechs with the ball chain uh, is from and that fight, you know, but that's why I'm keeping it vague. But I, I do remember that footage because that character that... It looks like they put an eight-year-old alongside a 13 and 14-year-old to drive and uh, pilot that mech, and he's super insecure about it, which is uh, good fun, and that's why he is getting into uh, audio clips that's uh, that's accompanying this uh, review. But Oh my golly, they're approaching us real fast! They're making their final attack. What do you think, fellas? It's a piece of cake. We'll wipe them out. No problem at all. <laughs> I don't think it's a problem, at least for me, that it is numbing because I just never seen anything like it, especially from IFT. That again, from the hour point and onwards, let's say it's all action. Like not if there was any exposition and plot set up, it's way before in the movie. Like ten, twenty minutes in, they're keeping a plot going. But after this, it's just from fight to 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 fight like it's uh, it all going on and then ends for some sadistic reason i just love that it's so different in that regard it's lazy possibly you can argue that it's lazy and uh, patchwork that no one really cared about but my god what an idea like put all of them in there like uh, you go ahead and take like take ninja the mission force all episodes of it and edit it into like a 60 minute movie like it's sure it, it's all ninja of course but it it it's so packed, like uh, edit all action from Ninja of a Mission Force into like a 30 minute stretch. I'm sure that that'll be in, like an experimental in editing if it is numbing to just play so much in a row each after the other. And But that's what they did with Space Thunder Kids. It, and oh, it's yeah. totally enjoyable, maybe only for me in the entire universe. But I, I so approve of this. It's so mind numbing and strange. And uh, as it turns out, not that difficult to follow. That was my fear. That it's uh, that is difficult to follow, but I realized that it's totally isn't. It's uh, all good fun, and uh, by the end you also get the classic stuff from Solar Adventure of uh, the tanks driving along the cliffside for ages. Very good. Then I will supply you with all our latest weaponry. Really, really? Oh, that is wonderful news, my general. If you do that, then before long that miserable little Earth will be in your hands. I can assure you of that. 
that's like when they should have tightened it up. Like, make that footage short. But they kept that for some strange reason. That minute or two minutes uh, sequence of driving along the cliffside for ages. So. And it's worth mentioning that that's a sequence that takes place in Space Thunder Kids after the Dark Emperor has been killed. Like, the big bad guy has been killed. Movie should be over. Uh, but we've got 10 more minutes on Earth with Kim Il-sung and um, endless tanks. America learns from Mr. Hawkins' my nation! Huh. Shut up, William! Put your shoe back on! You're stinking up the General Assembly! Should you venture into it first out of these animated titles? Do what you want, but if you're interested in the animated titles, watch a couple of them. Then venture into Space Thunder Kids. Hopefully you'll dig that it may not be unique, but it's cut and paste extreme, I guess. And I, I dig it for that, that it's so much for it. Like, it's Star Wars and then some for 80 minutes. Like, I approve. Of blue-faced aliens and of this much, you know, in one go. So, there it is. Where are the flames coming from? Come out and fight like a robot! We can activate the infra camera, then we can see him! And anything else you want to say, Ed, that you remember from from the movie or in general? One thing, uh, for those who have been following along since the beginning, uh, when we were talking about Savior of the Earth, those sequences that are then integrated into Space Thunder Kids are basically identical in con- in content. Um, the dialogue is the same. Uh, apparently, you know, they make sure they still had their their English scripts from that movie, or were listening to the English version, or whatever. But uh, when the Dark Emperor, formerly Doctor Butler, talks about his plan and talks about his um, flying carrier, which is some sort of energy supply vessel in both films. He talks about how he will control everything from nuclear weapons to digital watches. He says it in both films. You know, different voice actor, but same script. Because it's mammoth-esque. We're keeping that crap. Um, so it's interesting to see how the same material is incorporated in pretty much the same way into both films. And I suspect that it's similar with some of the other component movies. Yeah, because they're all like generic plots and most of them are about invading forces, as I've said many times. Mm -hmm. And uh, so probably be easy to keep keep dialogue and uh, save some time rewriting. Like, get them, shoot them. You can keep that. Uh Would you honestly recommend that even if people dig other IFD animations, if we're simplified, would you recommend venturing into Space Thunder Kids? Yeah, well, you kind of have to, right? Like, it's the ultimate one. I only recommend it if you're brave. How can you not watch something with that kind of preposterous pedigree. That's perfect. I mean, that that's uh, it's part of the uh, IFD adoration and fascination in a way, like especially market fascination that uh, this was an idea that they could do. They had it. Like, it's not like once they used it, the property went back to Korea. Like you know, Joseph Lai made an economical decision and decided to reuse all of this. And it feels different enough. Again, it's not repetition of uh, like long stretches of other movies so it doesn't feel like we're watching savior of the earth uh, an additional half time there's so much here that we recognize action that we recognize but it doesn't feel like watching a couple of the movies once again i think it's what's the word it's it's compelling and unique and uh, an oddity uh, enough of an oddity that they warrants putting this on after at least one or two of uh, of the others and see how they how they do for sadists only, possibly, but uh, hey. Right, exactly. Well, for masochists, I guess. Sign me up. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> That's Space Thunder Kids. We did it. We made it through it. Uh, hopefully coherent, coherent enough manner to give you an idea of how messed up it is. But uh, yeah, there it is. Professor told us this mission was going to be difficult, but look what happened. We just smashed two of the Empire's warplanes. It was a piece of cake, but now I'm bored. 
As for availability, it's the same as on Savior of the Earth. The company Digiview puts Base Bandicoots on DVD. It looks innocent enough when you watch the DVD case. Ah, pretty girls and a robot and a plot about some Space Bandicoots. You have no idea what awaits you when you see it, when you pick that innocent looking DVD up. And you can because it's still, uh, you can find reasonably priced copies on the likes of Amazon and eBay. I don't know if it's officially in print or not, but there seems to be copies circulating and it's popular enough YouTube fodder, uh, either by itself or with uh, Mr. Science Theater 3000 style commentary on it. I don't think Digiview is around anymore. That's the animation, at least for now. But next time, I thought we should give the German company AVV DVD some love. Because they were their cool company, putting out uh, putting out releases we like. But they were kind to send over some of their IFD and Filmark releases uh, on DVD. that are packed with extras and featuring the best versions of these movies uh, currently. They're, they're often from VHS and even uh, widescreen. Uh, like We're not talking brand new HD transfers of these movies because that's a, you can't really sit around and wait for the likes of, you know, Super Ninja or Ninja Terminator to get a treatment like that. But they're doing providing the best elements and the more most suitable extras you can uh, gather up for these kind of movies. So, so I thought, therefore, we take a trip over to Filmark and watch their release of Silver Dragon Ninja. For no other reason than I think it's a cool cut and paste movie and it also features a cool and gritty and violent Hong Kong movie as a source movie, which is not something we discuss very often when talking IFD because IFD rarely if ever went to Hong Kong to source their B-plot or their second movie to pair up with Richard Harrison or Stuart Smith and the likes but uh, Filmark were happy to do it and it features a Hong Kong movie I believe it's called Trap a cop movie and it features a lot of that cool stuff where the ninjas are watching on from behind a bush watching the other movies. Yeah, that's the best. And also, in the second half, because we can mix and match in whatever way we like, now that we, I think anyway, we've covered the sort of uh, what IFT did from Inception to up until animation, I think that covers the grand picture of it all, so we can now mix and match, if you will. Like, I had another suggestion, but I thought I'd turn to you, because you had an, a completely out-of-the-blue suggestion I didn't know of, and that piqued my interest. So, keeping in line with the film arc, you picked up something called Ninja what exactly? Ninja Killers. And it may or may not be from the Filmark vault. It's certainly in, in the style of IFD and Filmark. And I, I've been told from several sources that it is a Filmark release. And enthusiasts of these movies said that it's probably the lowest point at in Filmark's history. <laughs> so that's, I'm in. I'm totally in. It's Kung Fu star Bolo Jung, cutted and pasted with a Turkish film starring Turkish superstar Junet Arkun, who you might know, some of you, as the star of The Man Who Saved the World, better known as the Turkish Star Wars. Right on. I think Carter Wong is there. It's either him or Bolo that are employed by Filmark to make up uh, the footage for the new movie, um, which uh, is cool. Like uh, they, they were working, both working actors, Bolo and Carter Wong, so no wonder they... Uh, were the leads there rather than another random westerner so uh but yeah i've never heard of the ninja killers the, the thing is it doesn't feature in the ninjas i heard no it's got some guys in in hoods that are not ninja hoods but you know they're goons with ski masks if that counts good enough let's make the poster art for that and sell that crap one of the rare 
Turkish Hong Kong co-productions originally. Like you never heard that combo. You heard it in Italy and Hong Kong sometimes, mm-hmm. and uh, but yeah, Turkey, uh, Turkey and Hong Kong. Uh, so that should be either very good or incredibly bad. But either way, it totally deserves a place in the series. So that's uh, that's that. A little bit of the Turkey in the next episode, and a little bit of Hong Kong, a little bit of actual ninja, and a little bit of not actual ninja. So we'll uh, we'll get another episode going uh, for. A grand episode 10, I suppose. Uh, you know, I, I'm not at all about celebrating anything, so I don't care if uh, a grand episode 10 is uh, utmost greatest selections uh, ever or not. Like, um, Silver Dragon Ninja and Ninja Killer is good enough for me. Works for me. Right on. Let's uh, finish this one off then. This has been the Golden Ninja Podcast with, with no ninjas this time. They didn't even do animated ninjas, uh, because I guess there were no movies to pick up with animated ninjas, at least not cheaply. So there you are. But uh, the Golden Ninja Podcast uh, you've been listening to, we are on podcastonfire.com. Our shows uh, on other, other country cinema are available on there, as well as bonus episodes. If you have any questions or feedback, please email us at podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and share feedback over there, like our page and join the discussion group for various show updates and discussion. The links are available on podcastonfire.com. Our Twitter handle is at podcastonfire, so check us out over there. I write about, among other things, uh, these animated titles, uh, the various ninja cut and paste exploitation movies and Hong Kong and Taiwanese, a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese genres at sogoodreviews.com and my Small, very crude video reviews are available at sleazykvideo.com and my crude uh, tweets, I'm sure they are crude, uh, are at so good reviews. So, and uh, rate and subscribe us on iTunes. And uh, if you follow podcasts that way, and uh, if you have the time, please leave a star rating and a small written comment. We would love to hear from you what you think of this this uh, endeavor, the Golden Ninja Podcast Endeavor. That's close to ten episodes long, so we um, we didn't get tired of. Uh, like the oral oral love, so to say, a URL love that uh, one can put forth towards uh, IFT and Filmark. Uh, we managed to um, not bore each other or uh, be bored about like talking ninjas every three or four weeks or months or whatever. Like uh, the enthusiasm seems to be there. So, in the midst of all contact information and approaching the 10th episode, thank you, Ed, for being enthusiastic and suggesting stuff and uh, making sure this is. Uh, a passion project uh, just like the other series I'm doing so heck yeah anytime so yeah you can also stream us on Stitcher Radio uh, leave comments over there they have an application available on the Google Play Store thing and the Apple App Store so that's us and the Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles by the way uh, it's Press Molina's blog uh, we link specifically to a variety of posts that identifies the source movies in the various IFT and Filmark movies that's important to work especially the Taiwanese selections but anyway that's me your plugs again Ed where can, where can people find you if they want to watch uh, some web series of yours sure you can uh, find my films and web series at neonharbor.com that includes uh, Ninja the Mission Force which spoofs the cut and paste ninja movies of IFD and Filmark as well as Deja Vu which highlights foreign ripoffs of popular American films including the Korean Tron. And uh, I'm also on Twitter at twitter.com slash neon underscore harbor and on Facebook at facebook.com slash neon harbor. That's that. And our regular outro doesn't make as much sense after talking anime. But regardless, remember kids. I am the champion of the ninjas. We'll be right back.